0: Hi friends, welcome to The Like-Minded Radicals, the podcast designed for individuals like you who believe there's a better way to work and live. Hello friends, welcome to The Like-Minded Radicals, the podcast looking to ignite a workplace rehabilitation. I'm your host, Kendra Parker, and I am so excited for our guest today. He's a change maker for sure, working from the outside in to change the way we think about the employee experience. From the first conversation I had with Matt, I knew that we would play a role in each other's lives. Uh, Perhaps it was that instant acknowledgement that we were like minded in our passion for people. Through his own company, Salient 7, Matt is on a mission to creating the most purposeful and effective workplace experience for organizations, knowing that it will increase the joy purpose, and satisfaction of the people they employ. Matt was also a catalyst for this little podcast that could, challenging me on why not a podcast and insisting that whatever I call it, that it included the name Radical. So here we are, another episode of the Like-Minded Radicals with Matt Schaefer. Welcome to the show, Matt.
1: Thank you, Kendra. Super happy and excited and grateful to be here.
0: Yeah, excellent. So um, i like to start with a little bit of a grounding. Like, who who is Matt Schaefer today, and what are you doing?
1: Oh, my. Matt is a very eclectic person that's done a lot of different things and didn't have just one path. So career one was Air Force. <clears throat> career two was technology. And last career was owning and operating companies. Um, so it's been a very eclectic career. And uh, I've had Salient 7, formerly known as Salient 6 for a number of years. And due to the recent changes in a career, I'm like, you know what, I think I'm gonna go back and pick that company up and really combine my two passions of management frameworks, right, and helping people manage their companies. Yeah. And also people effectiveness, right. And I say effectiveness, because that includes both productivity and engagement. One by itself is necessary, but insufficient. You put them together, you have good things getting done, and people enjoying doing them by being aligned to things they enjoy, things they're good at, things they want to do to help them down their journey.
0: I love the way that you have paired those two. I think, you know, this is a transitional period where the workplace is ready for a revolution. People in the workplace are probably not necessarily totally ready to embrace something completely radical. So pairing the two productivity and engagement together is a really nice way to use terms that, you know, can ease people into. But ultimately, you say on your webpage um, that it starts with aligning our teams to their individual design, their innate wiring. And I love that because ultimately that seems to be the key to unlocking that engagement that motivation, the key to that purposeful work and that joy and satisfaction. How has that been received in the organizations that you've walked into?
1: I walk into them because it's received there. It's hard to walk into organizations that it's not received. Yeah. Right? And um, I think part of the reason I chose the word effectiveness, we'll go back for a second, remind me to come back here to this question, is because when you think in terms of business and leaders and buyers, you know, especially the over 30 crowd, let's say, <laughs> many of them want, I want productivity, I want effectiveness. It's all about the numbers, right? And they may not have a high EQ um, side. They'll say, oh, yeah, people are our greatest asset. They're all about the numbers. You have some leaders, the types that we like to work with the most out there in the marketplace, that really have a high EQ and they understand and they appreciate and they actually believe the value. Of getting people aligned to getting teams aligned right to that innate wiring so for me it was a journey to understand who I am across three careers who Mm -hmm. I'm not right and I'm passionate about helping other people understand that same thing because I think when we understand ourselves we can create better alignment for our lives our work right and the second level is when you get in a team or an organization or team of teams when we understand each other, we know how to align each other to the most effective and engaging work as individuals and collectively as a team.
0: Yeah, it's that consciousness, which is a word that I think is a little bit hard to understand, but it's that acknowledgement, that perspective of understanding yourself, right? And it does start with leaders, which I think, um, you know, makes it a little bit difficult because we need those role models and we we need to tap those help those leaders really understand um, that perspective so that they can start to relate to their people as people, as humans. How, I mean, what a journey. Um, How did those three kind of careers, how did the Air Force shape your understanding of who you are? The first thing that comes to mind is the Air Force's definition
1: of leadership. At least many years ago, I could say a few decades ago now, uh, (laughs) it's the art of motivating people towards a common goal, Uh right? So when I talk to people about uh, leadership and management, and that's my favorite interview question to ask people or if I'm coaching with someone is, what's the difference between leadership and management, right? And every good definition, every right definition of leadership, they don't always have to be the same, includes motivation, right? It includes inspiration. It's got to have one of those two words, right? Because managing is just getting things done, Um, And you can manage without leading. You can lead without managing, right? So I think in the Air Force, it taught uh, me a lot about leadership and what that means. And, you know, when you're in life and death situations or when you're going out to battle one night, um, you really don't know if you come back. It kind of gives you perspective on the rest of life, too. You know, I spent time in technology consulting world. I was a project manager once. And we just had this project that just went all kinds of sideways. The client was upset. We didn't know how we were going to get out of it. Everybody's hair was on fire. And I'm like, Matt, why are you so calm? And I'm not that good. You know? It's just like, well, we're all going to get in our air-conditioned cars, go home to our climate-controlled homes, and eat a really great meal. you know. And life is good. This situation in its context is bad. So yeah. nobody's getting shot at today was my point. I was trying to get that at them, right? Um, so I, I think that's the foundation that Air Force kind of laid that and just getting things done. The Having a mission and how vital it is for everybody to understand the mission. We're going from here to there. And it was neat. It, while I was on active duty for 12 years and then afterwards talking to friends that were still in the military or senior leaders that I met afterwards that I never served with, understanding the different layers and levels of leadership and how a general has to lead, you know, or a commander, and they put commander's intent out there. Hey, guys and gals, here's what we really want to accomplish. And then that goes down to the detailed smallest team about here's exactly how we're going to take step for step and how you're empowered to get there. So military was a good experience.
0: I I mean, I love that. I feel like there's so much we could learn because if they're it was ever a purpose driven organization. I guess the military would be number one. Right. I mean, you're really galvanizing the, the, the people, your employee base around a mission. But. I like what you said there, though, is that there's different there has to be different leadership at different levels because you you also have to understand who you're training or who you're leading and then what their special skills are. I mean, that's the other thing I think we could probably take for is I assume, you know, based on your rank and your level and your role, they're very defined. Whereas I feel like in corporate, perhaps that's not necessarily the case and and nor should it necessarily be. I mean, a role. Right now is somewhat well defined, but individuals come with their own unique gifts and talents. How do we mold these roles into something that actually aligns, aligns, right? It's back to that alignment, aligns with my natural gifts. What tools well, have I, you I, used? Oh, go ahead.
1: I think to be a good manager, you have to look at the roles that you believe or the first draft of. This is what's needed to get the job done. And then you look at the people and say, well, these are my people resources in hand. Right. And how can I create alignment between the two of them? Because I can't adjust the people a whole lot and I can't adjust the roles a whole lot. Yeah. So Good management will show how those things fit together. Good leadership will help the people see how they fit together because you're painting that picture. I don't want to say vision. It's such an overused word, but you paint a picture of here's how things fit together. And here's what the picture of success looks like when we exercise that plan to get there
0: yeah you and i can geek out about ex stuff i feel like for hours i was just reading um i think one of the reports probably you sent me and it said that only 33 percent of managers take into consideration the employees work styles and when i think of work style i think of also somewhat natural gifts because my style is a reflection of how i work only 30 only a third are actually considering that How does an employee start to even find out, I mean, a manager can't necessarily fit you into the right role or or, or work, identify that for you unless you can articulate what it is that you need and what your work style is. So how does someone start that journey?
1: Oh, goodness. Start with any free assessment you can find. There's tons of behavioral assessments out there. You know, we could each name six to 10 probably right off the bat. They're all different. They're all unique from each other. I think some are more valuable than others, but all of them are valuable. Anything a person can do to help understand themselves is step number one, right? Yeah. You get that awareness of who I am, but then you've got to take step number two of, you know, if we're in a traditional uh, corporate system, you've got a boss and sit down with your boss and be brave and courageous enough. Heck, let your own, this is going to help me out, motivate you to go have that courage to talk with them and say, hey, here's who I am. This is what works for me. Right. And they'd be a fool to not listen to you. If they totally rejected you, you might think about not being there. Right? <laughs> um, but even a team member, when they do that and they push that up and they see how it works for boss and them, it should catch boss's eye and say, wow, this is something maybe we should do for our team. Right. The whole yeah. thing. And with assessments, you know, I've taken so many of them, and each one helps me understand a little bit more about myself or a little bit about, a little bit more about my team members, but I find that there are some, let's just call them exercises. They're not data, scientific, instrument assessments that can really help us understand each other, and that's just around work preferences. You know, work styles can be very data-driven with assessments, but I like to work like this. Um, I don't like to work like that. You know, here's the best way to give me feedback. Just these easy conversational seven, 10 questions that really uh, brings and magnifies the effectiveness of those assessments. And my favorite question to ask, I asked it to a a candidate I was interviewing on behalf of someone else this week is what is the task where can we please give this to someone else on the team that enjoys it and is good at it? Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's a kind of, uh, um, a uh, soft way of asking the person create a safe zone and saying, what don't you like to do? Yeah. Right. And I like to preface it in the context of this job, right? And this was a C-level job. And I'm like, okay, so I can see you have done and you can do anything, right? And everything, you've got such breadth and depth. So there's no question you can do it all. What's that one thing you'd rather somebody else do? And they answered, honestly, which is awesome. And if we could all do that, what wonderful alignment that would create.
0: Right. Exactly. And that's I think that's the ultimate goal is being able to articulate ultimately what I bring to the table so that and you showing up knowing what you bring to the table so we can have that conversation and very quickly get to that answer okay I don't like doing this you're really good at that and obviously every team's not going to be perfectly designed with that in mind although as teams grow we would start to consider that but starting you know being it it definitely starts with an individual I also I love that like I think that that's a key to this idea of authenticity, right? We hear organizations talking about bringing up and showing, you know, showing up as your authentic self, um, which is a shift from the assembly line, just show up and do the work, um, which is a beautiful, beautiful shift. But again, it's that self-awareness.
1: Authenticity is everything. How can you get to alignment if you don't have authenticity and honesty? Right. Yeah. Um, and I'd say full, maybe not complete, but full authenticity and full honesty, right? It doesn't mean you have to bear every nook and cranny of your soul, but give away that 90% that other people need to know and vice versa so we can align together in the most effective way. Um, Authenticity is everything, I think, and authenticity creates um, magnetism, camaraderie, Mm. right? Yeah. I once heard somebody give an example of, uh, if you're at school or college or somewhere and somebody has to get up and talk in front of people, like let's say it's uh, you know high school students have to give up, get up and, and give a speech, and somebody just stumbles through it because they just can't stand it. They're not good at it. They're so frightened. They're so anxious. You just know that they're just ah, – and it's really showing, right? Yeah. Nobody makes fun of that person afterwards, do they? They go yeah. out of their way to come up and shake their hand and say, hey – Way to get up there and go for it, you know, but we so much want to keep that mask on and not be authentic because we're curious. What will someone think about? me. Am I not good enough? The fear, the doubt. Right. Where if we are authentic, I believe there's more opportunity to get that. Hey, way to go for it,
0: which I'm starting to formulate this opinion, that the idea of professionalism is actually a kind of the nemesis to authenticity. It's the mask we wear.
1: Yeah. Because we have to think that others are believing that we're fitting the mold of some specific track, right?
0: Yep. And thankfully, I think we are on this journey collectively of understanding and appreciating uniqueness and individuality. And I, I was having this conversation yesterday. How interesting is it that in almost every other aspect of our lives, we we praise authenticity. We want, we tell people to you be you, you know, you uh, everyone else is taken like yeah. quit. You know, authenticity is what makes cre- especially creatives unique and special. We uh, gravitate towards those people who are just fully themselves. Look at someone like a Richard Branson. And yet in the corporate world, we're still wearing these masks of professionalism.
1: I think we're on a, Journey in our work society, in industry, and the age, the information age we're now in, to get leaders to think differently, right? I think it's easier for the younger era, but today's managers and leaders, the more senior folks that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even, um, it's a hard shift for them to make, right? You've done it the same way for 30 or 40 years of your work life.
0: Yeah. And there's just these innate, um, expectations I think we have. I had a a conversation recently at an employee experience summit with another employee and she said, I tell my team they can work wherever they want to, they can work whenever they want to. And then an employee said to me, well, that's great because I like to take a nap at like three o'clock. And her immediate response was no, that's not acceptable. And then she had to like step back from that and say, whoa, why did that trigger me so much? Because I've been saying that that actually is you know, the way to, that, that I want them to have that flexibility and freedom. And he just told me that's what he needs. But it wasn't didn't seem acceptable when I first heard it. Yeah. Einstein would. I think I think Einstein took a nap every day. Right. That's where creativity actually comes from. You're most creative yeah. when you wake up in the morning or from a nap. Yeah. Um, but how interesting how much we have ingrained in us and how things are supposed to be.
1: Yeah. Well, um, it's considering the other person's needs. Right. Not the needs of that role, not the needs of my management plan, if I'm the boss it's what are the needs of that person. so if you fill their needs and their wants, right both physical in a work environment, and interacting with them in a way that works for them that can we can learn from assessments and just conversational exercises, um, then that's going to drive that effectiveness up
0: and I think that effect it's the effectiveness right because when you start to allow individuals to do it the way they want to do it the way they were born to do it in, yeah. in a sense. They'll bring all of them. They'll bring all of that creativity and that innovation to solving the problems. And what excites me about the future of work and potentially moving to a more kind of remote style of work, but just in general, if we allow our employees to really start shifting, doing differently, shifting how they're accomplishing that work, we're so interrelated in, in the way that our society works with commerce. So many industries now right, are, are so aligned in how they actually produce the work. Our employees are going to solve the problems for themselves, which inadvertently means they're solving the problems for the customers and vice versa. As they're solving the problems for their customers, they're going to figure out new ways to do it. So they'll solve the problems for themselves. And that's
1: the beautiful transition we're still trying to make out of the industrial age of show up at work and boss is going to ensure that you do things the way that they think it needs to be done, you know, even yep. in, even in you know, software development, same way, right? Um, and moving towards outcome-based management, right, of creating that clear picture of here's what success looks like for you individually, us as a team, and then leading them with motivation and inspiration to get there, right? And I tell you what, with me, uh, I usually eat a big lunch. Which you know what happens mm-hmm. when that insulin Ooh. roller coaster happens after <laughs> lunch, right? And yeah. uh, if I can get a fifteen to twenty minute nap in, it's like I just slept all night, and I'm I, I'm twenty thirty percent probably more productive the rest of the afternoon, right? Yeah, <laughs> so I would even be be able to make that appeal to an industrial era manager. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And again, Einstein said you're more creative after after that nap. So it's probably a a habit we all could pick up in some ways. I'm not so good after the nap, but uh, (laughs) that's just personally. Um, I I was thinking also about this idea of employee experience and you and I are both big Burson fans and I love I was reading recently in one of the one of his recent reports, his definition of this new era, this post pandemic era. And, and how it's really going to be defined by the employee experience mm-hmm. and he defines employee experience as productivity um, efficiency, but also as health and well-being and everything in between. I love the everything in between that's what I gravitate towards, but I see how you know productivity and, and kind of what you're talking about efficiency is actually the thing that will lead us to the everything in between. How do we get clear about outcomes? How do we in you know in a um in this kind of intellectual era where we're not producing widgets, prove our productivity and actually be able to learn how to articulate our outcomes?
1: I think the corporate answer is it's training. Because most people don't understand outcomes, right? Yeah. If you walk into corporate, you're high-level managers, they have an MBA, yeah, probably, right? But I, I would bet the majority of information workers don't really understand outcomes. So um, just last week I was educating a client on the difference between how a project has deliverables, mm-hmm. but a business objective has an outcome. It's a new state of being, right? Um, Google made OKRs very famous. Microsoft now has OKRs inside of Viva Goals, right? And OKRs are objectives and key results. Um that flowed out of the MBO, Management Business Objectives, from yesterdecade. Um, so I think the way to make that happen, to answer your question, is in management frameworks, right? The, for a small business or a small team, I've actually used this with a small team inside a very large business before, uh, Gina Wickman's book, Traction, that evolved Entrepreneur's Operating System, EOS, that a lot of small businesses use, it, he has a really simple, straightforward approach on how to craft your annual goals, right? Or objectives, almost synonymous, and then break them down into quarterly rocks that support getting that annual goal achieved and assigning ownership to it. So there's a very, very basic, simple to understand, easy to teach, like one hour kind of framework that's just, just um, common wisdom these days in management framework to help people understand what are our goals as a team, how do we break mm-hmm. those down to individuals with accountability. Um, I think another great tool to use inside of there is a racing matrix, if you're familiar with the racing matrix, right? Yeah. R, responsible A's, accountable C's, contributing. Um, I is, help me with the I, informed, informed after the fact, yeah. And what a great tool to create clarity, right? Uh, So right behind alignment and purpose, one of my favorite terms is clarity, because clarity is what's going to help you achieve that alignment, purpose, that effectiveness and productivity. Uh, When they get when a team or a person gets that clarity of where we're going, how are we getting there and what's everybody's part, then you make it to that. Right.
0: I think that's what like with purpose driven organizations. There is obviously uh, this this big mission and this this purpose but i don't think that's enough to really capture the heart and and minds of individuals it's really that vision that has to align right that the, what you just said is you know where are we going what's the roadmap? and not the high level roadmap, but like for us as a team and how right. do my values and my gifts align with that vision so again it's that leadership plays such an important role in that motivation and helping individuals tap into their own potential.
1: And that person's purpose has to align with the organization's purpose. The organization purpose isn't enough, right? Like yeah. I may be super passionate about the purpose in the world of an organization, but if they don't have a role for me where I can bring my purpose to align with that yeah. that brings me fulfillment on a weekly basis, then I'm going to be kind of detached from productivity, right? Or engagement yeah. or effectiveness or Love Josh Persons word. Loyalty. Employee loyalty. Right.
0: Yeah. I um I heard an interview recently and the, the it was a COO and he was talking about his workforce and kind of giving them the there were the A players, the B players and the C players. And there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of respect necessarily for the C players. And then I read this term latent potential. And I think, yes, like the C players is where there's that latent potential. And as an organization, we keep hearing this idea of tapping into potential, but you don't get to tap into my potential. You have to help me do that. So how do we awaken that latent potential in individuals? Hmm.
1: Uh, start with authenticity and honesty. We were talking about before, right? If if I was a boss, a manager or a leader, I think the place to start is with a very thoughtful, kind, I care about you conversation. Of you're a C player, you know, Um, it's not my judgment. That's what metrics show, or that's what peer three six, what everybody says about you. You know, you got to get careful consideration to that approach. Um, But when you have that clear expectation setting conversation, there's kind of two ways to do it. One is in the dare we say traditional HR way of we need to have a conversation, right? And you you lay out all the cover your butt stuff you got to in that conversation about how expectations aren't going to be met or aren't being met. Uh, and the other way is to sit down and go, hey, look, um, your things aren't just going as well for you as they could be or as they should be, right? I think you've got more potential than that. I see these wonderful things of genius and superpowers in you, but you know it's kind of coming across in the workplace like. X, Y, and Z, and I really think you're capable of P, D, and Q. So, what's going on? Is there something I can help with? You know, do you want to be here? Do you want to be there? Um, talk to me. You know, so when you show yeah. up with a, a servant's heart to help yeah. that person become what they want to be, that tears down a lot of barriers and a lot of self-protection, right? And self-promotion to go, oh wow, this person cares. They want me to get from here to there. A way I did that with my employees years ago. Um, was a way of looking out for them instead of just the company first. That's said, hey, we're in the tech industry. You know, I know you guys are going to get five job offers every month, every quarter, right? And I right. said, if you want to go somewhere else just for money, because I might not have paid close enough attention to promote you at the speed of awesomeness that you're growing at. I said, come have a conversation with me, you know? And I could think of three specific people right now that did that and either gave them a raise or more vacation time. And they're like, okay, I'm satisfied. And, you know, it was well worth that small cost in order to retain magnificent talent. But I developed that relationship with those people about I care about you. I care about your journey. And we're going to make that more important than the company's journey anytime we can.
0: Yeah, because ultimately happy employees lead to better, happier customers and better business results. Right. So I think, you know, Burson talks about um, investing in people as one of the key components to Uh, Creating an irresistible workplace and or employer. And when I when I read it and I think about it, I think most companies would say, yeah, well, of course we invest in our people. We we have a, you know, a, a yearly promotion cycle or maybe a biannual promotion cycle. But I don't think that's the investment as individuals we're looking for. That's not the investment that's going to that's not the investment those C players are getting. Yeah. So how how do we invest in people? What kinds of trainings do you think we need to maybe be pivoting to if we really want to create radical change?
1: I think that our organizations should be very intentional about putting together programs to help people understand what they want their individual work journey to be. What do they want to be in one, three, five, ten, twenty 10, 20 years? What do they want their life to look like? What do they want their work life to look like? Do they want to buy their first home? Or what is that, right? So mm-hmm. getting them to self-actualize, being authentic, authentic, I just invented a not good word, <laughs> authentic with themselves. Um, they have to understand where they want to go before you can bring the resources and, dare we say, buying power of the organization to bear in that person's journey to help them get there, right? Uh, right. Somebody might want to just uh, go get an MBA, and so tuition assistance is hugely important to them. Somebody might be going through a divorce, right? And counseling is what they need to get them from here to the next stage of their life. You know, and oh, my gosh, if you just throw some dollars at getting me some counseling because I know our health insurance doesn't cover it for, you know, marital uh, counseling. That could be something. Right, um, right. I I found it really interesting. Uh, Somebody had a kind of uh, smorgasbord or a selection of very creative benefits that their employees could choose from. And it was things that would really make a difference in their life, like, you know, once a month housekeeper come and clean the house or do the lawn or a babysitter that would would show up and do that. So it's those kind of creative things that can really help people down the journey once we help them understand what their journey is.
0: Yeah, I think we talk in, of in corporate about personalization, uh, yeah. but to get personalization, you got to get personal. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: And that person has to understand their what they want, right? What they need. So that's step one, and then the organization has to be flexible and willing enough to actually bring resources to bear around that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I had a conversation with a researcher this week um, about work passion, and I realized in our conversation. Um, that you can be very passionate about your work and be an incredible role model for your team and, and showcase, you know, how to be in alignment with mm-hmm. your values mm-hmm. and your purpose, etc. You can be extremely passionate about your work and you can be a horrible boss. Oh, yeah. Right? Be- yep. Because you don't have that work life balance, and you don't actually necessarily have that alignment, and perhaps you're so centered on yourself, you're not looking at your team and implications for your team. So, you passion can, is this great thing, but it's got two sides.
1: You can passion and purpose yourself right into the ground if you don't self regulate it.
0: <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent, hundred And there's this—I feel like there's this real focus, and it's one of the things I, I really want to shed light on through the podcast—is this idea of purpose, right? We've we've really romanticized it we've (laughs) held it up on this pedestal and yet if you look at the definition of purpose purpose is is not well defined it is something that supposedly actually can change over time Mm -hmm. so if it's going to change over time why do i feel like it's this key that's going to unlock you know this journey i'm supposed to be on when we've we've created this idea of finding it, which is really intimidating and really difficult to do. And I think purpose is actually just pulling up the mirror. It's everything we've been talking about, self-actualization, understanding who am I, who am I, Mm -hmm. what are my gifts, what are my talents, and how can I live a life that's utilizing them in a fulfilling way? And that doesn't necessarily have to be through work, but wow, if work is what I spend most of my time doing, it would be really, really nice if actually I felt like I was in a position to exercise and experiment with these unique gifts I've been given.
1: And you just can't take an assessment to find your purpose. Um, I've taken a couple out there before, and, you know, they give you some good indicators of, okay, it's not that, it's not that. Maybe, 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 maybe on these things, right? But um, it's just so elusive. And like you said, it changes over time. What is purpose, right? I, I think of life in seasons, right? And seasons change. Sometimes seasons can be short. Sometimes seasons can be long. Um, I always knew I wouldn't be one of those people that just had one career path. I'm going to go be this type of engineer and I'm going to do this till I retire. My dad did that. He worked for the phone yeah. company for 37 years. Right, wow. it was his first job as an adult, I think. And he retired from there when he was 60 something or 50 something. Retired early. Um, So purpose is so hard to find and it changes. So when we're on assignment for a season, I believe our purpose can change in different assignments, and different seasons. But back to the beginning of our conversation, it always starts in knowing myself. Yeah. It starts in us knowing us and what we're good at, what we're not good at, and how we serve others, how we make the world a better place, right? Because I've never stopped to think about it formally, but your purpose is to do good. How are you going to do good? Is it through making widgets? Is it going to be through making, uh, helping people in some kind of way? Is it going to be leading? Is it going to be thinking? Is it going to be doing? Are you an organizer? Are you a crazy visionary? You know, understanding all these things about yourself will help you understand yourself more so that you can have that purpose alignment on that assignment in that season.
0: Well, I think if – but I think if you look at purpose as actually my purpose is to know myself, then every season is just another (laughs) experience of further developing and knowing yourself. And when you know yourself, you will then identify – so you've now identified how you're different, but how you – How you bring that into the world might evolve as well, but will likely always result in helping others. It will be about connecting with others, using my gifts to collaborate with others, using my experiences and my ability to do X, Y, Z as an example for others to really help move the collective. I think we're all motivated by the same things. It's just our human makeup is to Help others, influence others, connect, create community, collaborate, um, all in the, the hope to, to help others and connect with them yeah. better.
1: It takes all flavors to make the world a better place, right?
0: It does. And that's, I think also why I get really hung up and triggered by professionalism because it takes all types. And I had someone um, recently say, you know, describe another coworker as as maybe as a little bit flighty and scattered. And it was done in a bit of a negative connotation. And I thought, well, I'm flighty and scattered. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that doesn't mean I don't bring value. It's just, you know, uh, my brain works differently. And I that gets me excited about neurodiversity because we are finally seeing corporations really embrace neurodiversity, but that means I'm going to show up different and you might not associate that with professionalism, but that doesn't in any way diminish the value that I bring. It just looks different.
1: Agreed. I think um, thought diversity and personality diversity, work style diversity is as important as all other types of diversities that are very popular, rightly so, today, right? We need to not include that it, it takes lots of different ways of thinking and put people that are wired differently and think differently, that diverse mindset in a room together to come out with the most creative example.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it makes it really exciting for the future of work and, yeah. and this time that we're in. What do you see as, um, potentially uh, a radical change that could be coming in the future of work?
1: I think, well, this isn't radical because it's already happening, right? The remote work that we all, most of us that could learned how to do it, I think industry learned how to do it where possible during COVID, of course. I think that's going to accelerate the mindset shift of moving to outcome-based management, right? And, the old heads, the old gray hairs um, (laughs) that want to stick to the old styles of management. I think it's going to either change their behavior or flush them out more quickly. Because when we look at how much purpose alignment is showing up in the recruiting industry, especially with the younger generations, right? They want to get behind that purposeful company. Um, uh, The old ways of managing just aren't going to work. So, Outcome based work that nobody cares where you do it from, I think is going to accelerate, you know, and you're in my technology consulting world. We've been in for a long time. We kind of always work that way because we're big. You know, we adopt the tech first. You and I worked in workplace, which is how people work. So we're always on the bleeding edge of adopting the tools. Um, But I think we're really going to see an acceleration of that. Um, That's the first thing that comes to mind about what's going to get radical.
0: I love it. I love it. So how can an individual who's listening, um, all six of them, um, how can they potentially push and accelerate that change as a, say, a a mid-level player Mm -hmm. and not Mm -hmm. a leader?
1: It wasn't until a few years ago I heard the saying, great leaders ask great questions. Yeah, I've been studying leadership my whole life. doesn't make me a good one, but I've heard most of the stuff. Um, Great leaders ask great questions. I think that person in the middle educate themselves on where is my team, my organization, right, on this spectrum of modernizing into being a radical modern workplace for the sake of good and start asking good questions inside the organization, right? What would happen if we finish the sentence, right? What would the outcome be if we X, Uh, Hey, boss or bosses, I was reading about this company the other day that tried this and it went like this. What would happen if? So, you know, it's a great tactic to ask the what if question uh, because you're getting other people to process and come out with their own answer instead of coming with your answer first and hoping that other people will sign up for it. So find a good path. Start asking good what if questions inside the organization so that somebody has to ask to actually put effort behind the why not when you're asking why or why, why
0: yeah. or why not. Yeah, why exactly. I love that. And that's the whole purpose of this podcast is just to really ask questions and to challenge people to think, yeah, w- what is the answer to that? Hmm. Um, so I'm going to wrap things up with that. Uh, where can people find you and your services? <laughs>
1: uh, salient, the number seven dot com is the best place to find me. And, of course, LinkedIn. Who needs business cards anymore with LinkedIn? Thank you very much, LinkedIn. Uh, So (laughs) salient7.com is probably the easiest place to find me.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, Matt. This this has been fun, as I knew it would be. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Um, Have a great day.
1: Love the podcast. Keep doing it. You're making the world a better place. You're courageous and you're superhuman. Keep doing it, Kendra. Thank you for letting me be here.
0: Oh, you're awesome. Thanks, Matt. Right. Bye.